sports fans rejoice. You're listening to my team, my voice with MTMV Sports. Hey, what's going on? It's Justin Sarachik, editor of Rapzilla.com, and you are watching MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. Hello and welcome to the Know Your Personnel podcast. We are on all major podcast apps. You can also find us on MTMV Sports Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to both stations that you never miss an episode. Please remember to leave us a five-star rating. Download and share this episode with a friend so we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our next guest. Let's jump in. All right, welcome back to the KYP Podcast. I'm very, very excited for our next guest. Uh, Coach David Grace has been coaching 21 years of coaching, including 14 in Division I basketball and 11 of those in the Pac-12, coaching some of the best basketball athletes in the country. Uh, Coach Grace, thank you so much for coming uh, and being on our podcast this morning. Thank you for having me, Nick. It's a pleasure. I'm ex- really excited. Um, I, we were talking before, and I've always had so much respect for you. When I was coaching at Clovis West High School, we brought our team up to Oregon State. This was probably at least 10 years ago now. And I was coaching the second team. And we made it to the, it was either the championship game or the last day, whatever it was. And we were playing a good team and it was a great battle. And on the main floor, on the big floor, and uh, for us high school guys, coaching on the big college floor is always a big deal for us. Yeah. And playing on that floor. And we had a kid, we had a layup at the buzzer, down one layup at the buzzer, and he missed it. And I was, we were heated. And I remember right. you and Coach Robinson ran up on because you guys were underneath the basket or close to it. Yeah. The basket gave the kid a hug, put your arm around the kid, and uh, and and I just thought I've, I've had so much respect for you ever since. Uh, and in fact, uh, that when I got back home, I wrote a letter to the president of Oregon State, just talking about you and Coach Robinson and the impact you guys had on us. And so I've always been a big fan of yours since, Coach, and and this means a lot to have you here. Um, I want to start because you've been coaching for 21 years, but coaching has not been your entire adult life. You started in the military and you had 20 years in the United States Air Force. Um, can you, can we start from the beginning and talk about where you grew up, uh, living in a military family, traveling basketball, all that fun stuff. Can you let our listeners know about how, where you come from and, and what that's meant to you? Well, I was born in, um, place called Habity Grace, Maryland, and uh, my early childhood I spent in Aberdeen, Maryland. Um, um, And then uh, when when I was, my mom and my father got a divorce when they were five, when I was five, and then um, my mom remarried when I was 12, and she married a military man, my stepfather, and then we started moving, and uh, we moved all around. I went to a lot of Elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools. I went to three different high schools and um, in three different states. We didn't have AAU back then, so um, I, I, I wasn't getting recruited. And um, so I was going to walk on at Northwestern State University in Louisiana because I graduated my senior years from Leesville High School in, in Louisiana. And, um, and my mom, uh, she talked me into joining the military instead. So, um, um, so I joined the military and, uh, spent 20 years in it. Best thing I ever did. I get a retirement check. Uh, I get free insurance and, and a lot of other benefits from that. And I got to see the world and, 
I was able to uh, learn a lot along the way a lot of, from a lot of great people. You know, the military has some tremendous people. When you said you get free insurance, for me, it's not free. You gave 20 years of your life serving our country. I think that's the least that could be done is, is those things and that check you get. I think that's probably a discount uh, given what you Thank gave you. us. Uh, you said you played basketball on the base. What was that like? Were there teams? Did you guys play against other bases? Were there guys in there with a big basketball background? How did that work? Yeah, it was actually high-level basketball. A lot of the guys on the team were former former college players. So it was high level. We played different bases. When I was stationed in Sicily, we'd go around playing different bases and we played professional teams downtown. So it, back when, when I was in the service, it was very high level. We also played on intramural teams. And, and then we played, when I got old enough, I played on the over 30 teams. So uh, very competitive, um, very com high level spirited games because a lot of bragging rights were were on the on the horizon and and, and uh, on the base. Um, you said one of it was one of the best things you ever did was learn that military lifestyle and be a part of the military. What are some things that the military has taught you that you now instill into the players that you coach today? Well, it, uh, so much. You know, um, I, my last four years, I was a human relations specialist. I went to a school called Defense Equal Opportunity Management Institute, one of the best human relations schools in the world. Um, and it taught me a lot about how people do, why people do what they do and how to interact with human beings and, and how to motivate them and how to get them to do what the Air Force needs them to do. And, and it's helped me, you know, with my basketball as well. And then also, you know, running the program. In, in the Air Force, we perfected our processes. We had checklists with everything we did, and we continued to, to scrub the checklist to make sure it was the best and, and they've had the best process to get the job done, uh, to get the task done and um, get the mission done for, and, you know, that's why it's the best in the world and what they do. And that's why, you know, um, we have great protection from the United States Air Force. So those things, it also helped me, uh, you know, I went to a lot of leadership schools on how to lead. Um, you know, it, it, when I first joined, it taught me how to be a great follower. I think before you can be a great leader, you have to be a great follower. So all these things played a huge part in, in what I do now. And, and I take a lot of those processes um, that I've learned in the military and uh, apply them to, the, to what I do. That's very interesting. I, I've often wondered uh, or thought that I would be better off with a degree in psychology or communication or some of those things. Right. Because, you know, coaching basketball is, is so much of that. And I'm sure you have a great advantage um, learning how to be organized, learning how to communicate, learning how to lead that you've gotten in the military. And that's been able to really help you with the athletes that you've had. Um, so you spent 20 years uh, with different responsibilities all the way up in, in the military. What made you pivot from there and get into coaching? You know, it was crazy because um, I was, I, I got stationed in Turkey, in Inslik Air Base in Turkey. And at that time I was, uh, I just finished playing. I was in my late thirties or early, probably mid thirties. And um, uh, I was started refereeing and, uh, I was refereeing at the base and um, got to be pretty good at it. And 
So I thought I was going to be a college referee when I got back stateside and that once I retired. Um, but then I got stationed at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia, in Hampton, Virginia. And I went into my supervisor's office and he was telling me my responsibilities. And after he told me my responsibilities, I looked on the wall behind him and on his uh, what we call I Love Me Walls. Um, he had a coaching plaque. And I received that same plaque coaching my son in a five-year-old YMCA league. So I was just making small talk and say, oh, you like basketball? You coach. And he said, oh, yeah. I coached for Blue Williams AAU program, one of the best AAU programs in the country. And uh, I coach his 12-year-old. And I need some coach. Are, are you interested? So at first I told him, now I'm going to be a college you know, referee and make money and stuff. He said, why don't you come on down? So I didn't know about Boo Williams. I didn't know about AAU. And so I went down to his practice and I was blown away. I thought it was parking wreck. And he had the 12 year olds in practice jerseys, all the same socks, all the same sneakers. He had a practice plan. He told me, he showed me the, the tournament schedule, which was a big time tournament schedule for a 12 year old team. And um, I, right then and there, I fell in love with, uh, with coaching, I, I became his assistant coach. I got to know Boo Williams. That same year, he's, he told me, he says, hey, in April, Boo Williams is going to have this big tournament in, on the campus of Hampton University. And uh, John Tompkins is going to walk in the door. Uh, Dean Smith at the time. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski, all the top, top um head coaches are going to walk in the door and watch these kids play in the 17 and under league. So I didn't believe him then either. So um, and then I went to the event and I'm in Holland Hall on the campus of Hampton University and I see all these coaches come walking in and I was just blown away. And it was like 1130 at night. Back then they, they started AAU game at two in the morning back then. There was no regulations and stuff. So it was like 1130 at night. I didn't leave the gym the whole day and I just was watching the game and just had like a dream, but it was like a daydream. It was like, you know, I was watching all the college assistant coaches run around the gym because back then they weren't, they weren't um, um, courted off in, in a certain section. So um, uh, they could sit with the parents and stuff. So I watched them work the whole room and I set up high in the gym and then I, I saw the head coaches and how they act. And I just had that dream. Hey, you can do that. You can be a college coach. Why can't you do it? And then five minutes later, he says, well, if you're going to be a Division One coach, uh, you, you might as well be a head coach. So those were the dreams. That's when it started back in 1997. And I've accomplished most of them. Only one thing lacking is being a head coach. And hopefully that will happen this spring. I, uh, I can imagine uh, how shocked you were to come from when you grew up not having any AAU and right. then walking into a Boo Williams tournament or practice and seeing – from no AAU to high-level AAU must have been a huge culture shock to realize that even kids, that kids even did that. And, and uh, you know, how, yeah. how high-level and how big-time that, that type of AAU basketball is. Yeah, I was, I was blown away. I, I thought it was just like park and rec, you know. And then spending time overseas and being in the military culture, you don't get to see that. You know, you don't get to be around that type of environment. And, and for me to be able to join that program and, you know, to join it, join a, one of the best programs there is, you know, ever in yeah. Williams, you know, he's in, uh, he's in the basketball hall of fame. He's had the likes of Allen Iverson, Alonzo Mourning, Joe Smith, J.R. Reed, and, and the Keisha Fred from the WNBA. I mean, he's had 
some of the greatest players ever to to go. Michael Vick, who played in the NFL. I mean, he he's had so many of the of the great players to come through his program and to be a part of that. And and Boo was taking me under his wing, and he was a great mentor to me to this day. Um, I'm curious. You mentioned something with one of your officers called an "I love me" wall. Um, what what exactly is that? Well, you know, when you're in the military for a certain amount of years, you kind of collect plaques that go up on the wall. And, um, you know, from being Airman of the Month, NCO of the Month, you know, you PCS from one base to the other, they usually give you a going away plaque and any of your accomplishments. But if you get this, by the time you get a certain rank and you get an office, you kind of put those plaques up on the wall and they're great conversation pieces. You know, obviously it was a great conversation piece for me because if he didn't have that plaque on the wall, we would have never discussed that. I mean, probably eventually we would have, but not, not during that day. So, you know, it's just a, it's just what we call, what we call our, I love me walls because everybody gets plaques and stuff throughout, especially if you spend a lot of time in the military, because they like to uh, acknowledge all your accomplishments that you've done over the years. And, um, and then, you know, when you, you put those up there too, like somebody might be in from the base that you were at before. So you have a good conversation pieces of, of, oh, I knew that guy. I knew that guy. So that's how we kind of network um, in, the, in the Air Force. Very similar to sports. If you, you know, you say you played at this place or you played for this coach or you played this way and you meet with another guy who was similar and, and it makes it work. I can see exactly how that. Um, so you became a coach in AAU and I'm curious because you you had a, a high school career, but you traveled around a lot, didn't play AAU, played military ball, which I can assume was structured, but yet not not like uh, AAU or high school ball would be. Where did you develop your philosophy on how to play and and uh, what drills to do, what things to do? Did that all come from Boo Williams? And and how did it accelerate so fast? Because you seem like you were a college coach very quickly after, after working in uh, AAU in high school. Well, I think a lot of it comes from my Air Force background because, you know, once you get the bug, and one, you know, you get great interest in doing something, you do your research. Mm-hmm. So I actually, you know, being from Mil- from Maryland, I, I got a book on Morton Wooten. Um, and I really studied that book. You know, I think the world of Morton Wooten, you know, when I he coached at the Massa, he's one of the greatest coaches. He's in the Hall of Fame as well. So. I studied a lot of what he did because, you know, eventually I became a high school coach and, and whatever Boo did, I watched and whatever, you know, um, you know, I'm Lute Olson family and Lute Olson are great friends and I uh, watched what he did and try to read up as much as possible because once I got the bug, uh, you know, I'm that type of person, I'm not going to uh, uh, just do it halfway. I'm going to do it all the way and try to be the best I can. I'm still learning to this day. We, you know, this year we've, you know, I got to, to work with the NBA guy. And um, um, so we, you know, he had over 200 plays. So I learned a lot this year as well. So you're, you're always learning, you know, that, that was the NBA philosophy and NBA way of doing things. So, you know, you, you're continuously learning, but I'm, you know, I try to perfect my craft. That's, that's what they teach us in the military to do. And, and, and it's a constant, um, scrubbing of the checklist as per se you know the year after that my my supervisor got assignment to korea and i took over the program so um you know i I moved from the assistant chair over to the head coaching chair and that was the first um you know i coached my son in a five-year-old ymca league that really don't count you know that was the first year where you had i had a little pressure on me to do well you know because it's boo williams you're not going to get a second chance 
because if you don't do well, he's going to replace you and get somebody else. So, so that's why I was always being prepared and, and would go home and study, study the craft per se, not just my Air Force job, but my coaching job. Um, you, when I picture the military, I picture um, the officers uh, very hard on the people who are under them very strict in every single way. Every detail is important. And if you make a mistake, you're going to be let known. And it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a high pressure environment. Um, now I could be wrong and, and but I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but that's how I picture it. How did you go from a, a leading military officer to working with kids? Did you, did you bring that strict high level pressure into your coaching? Were, were you able to, you know, tail it or, uh, cater it to young kids did you have trouble in between how were you able to make that transition and working with the youth well you, you're right in a lot of ways my my job in the air force my first 16 years before i became a human relations specialist was a fuel specialist and i put uh, i put fuel on airplanes and that was very highly that was dangerous you know very very dangerous because of the static electricity and stuff and people have lost their jobs so we couldn't be wrong so you're right. And when I fought in the air, in the war in Desert Storm, I I told my kids all the time, it was no do-overs like in a in a video game, you know, no reset button. You know, you you had to be right because you couldn't have mistakes because if you you cause a, a airplane to blow up, there's going to be casualties, and that's happened. I've seen it happen before. So taking those disciplines over to the coaching was easy. You know, um, but when you're dealing with young people, you also got to bring a loving approach as well. And, you know, young people, if they know that you love them and you care about them and you treat them away and you know how to communicate with them and you still hold them to a high standard, they'll, they'll tend to achieve it if they know that at the end of that achievement comes success for them and, and what they're looking for in, in, in playing basketball. Um, so you went from AAU and then you transitioned to become a high school coach and teacher. Um, now I'm a, uh, I'm a high school coach and teacher and I've also coached AAU and, and, and in my experience, there's a big difference between high school varsity basketball and AAU basketball. How did you make that transition in coaching in high school from AAU and what was that experience like? You know, it was, in the beginning, the great thing about it is my Air Force uh, job always helps because, you know, in AAU, there's not a lot of rules. You know, there's no there's yeah. no um, principal or no administrator telling you uh, what to do, you know, or in guidelines. When you become a high school coach and then eventually when I retired, I became a high school teacher, um, there's different rules, obviously, you know, and then you know, in, in high school, you, you got to make sure that the kids go to class and, and, and they get a great GPA as well because you're trying to get them in college. Uh, in AAU, you, you, you care about it, but you're not with them every day, you know, as far as making sure they're, they're eligible to play. So, um, but when I, when I transitioned over on coaching AAU, I just went to another state. I coached with the Compton Magic. I started high school and coaching in, in Arizona when I was stationed in Phoenix, Arizona. And I, I I was assistant high school coach at Trevor Brown High School, and we had great success. And I became a head high school coach when I retired from the Air Force at South Mountain High School, and we had great success there. We won a state title in two years, but uh, I was still coaching AAU. I just moved over to the Compton Magic program 
run by A. Tofu and Emma. It's probably the, the best, if not the best AAU program going right now. He's, he's definitely right up there with the best, and he'll be a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done as well. I was just on the phone with him last night. Um, we were very close friends. So, um, But the adjustment for me wasn't really that much. I just knew that there was a different type of structure, different type of requirements, and I have to answer to more people than I would answer to on the AAU scene. Um, and it's a different ball game, as you know, as the coach. So I got to live both, both have lived through both experiences, and obviously, living through those both experiences helped me being a college coach. So you you coached for two years in high school, won a state championship. You were well connected with two of the best AAU programs ever made, uh, and then you went into college. And how did that transition come? Who were you meant? Who were your mentors that helped you even? You know, even as a successful high school coach, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get an assistant Division One job. How did how were you able to make that jump, and who was able to help you kind of launch you into that position? Well, you know, during that time, I was calling everybody to try to get the job at, at, at the at the Division One level because that was my dream, and I got a bunch of no's. And I mean, a lot of everybody was telling me no, and um, you know, but you only need one yes, and. Uh, so after we won the state, it got to be, I think, around October, no, maybe September. Uh, I thought, well, I'm going to be a high school coach again. And then I got a phone call from Jerome Jenkins, uh, Sacramento State. Uh, they had just lost assistant coach late in the, in the game, really in the cycle of coaching cycles. And um, uh, he called me, was interested in me. And one of the reasons <clears throat> he called me was um, is a guy that um, that worked with the Compton Magic that knew him real well. His name was Jeff Tyler, and Jeff Tyler recommended me, and so did Ato Punaema recommended me for the job. And then after the, he made the phone call, I had Lou Olson call, and because uh, I built a relationship with Coach Olson, and Coach Olson was at University of Arizona at the time, and all three of those those guys helped me reach my dream. And then you know. When I got hired, he said, well, I'm going to only pay you $30,000. And I slept on the floor in the room. I remarried and my wife um, was able to take care of my kids back in Phoenix as I chased my dream of uh, being a Division One assistant coach. You went up the ranks very fast as far as levels go. You started at Sac State, like you said, which would be considered a low to middle uh, Division One, And then University of San Francisco, maybe league-wise, maybe a little bit higher. And then you end up in the Pac-12, which on the West Coast is the top basketball out here. How did you rise up so quickly in the ranks as a college coach? What, what strategies did you do or what, what breaks did you have that got you to where you're at now? Well, a lot of it had to do with, you know, my networking. And, um, you know, I, I knew the, the, the following year I went up to the University of San Francisco, I knew Jesse Evans, who was the head coach at the time, due to the fact that he used to be the assistant coach at University of Arizona, and he coached for Lute Olson. So, so when he needed a, a, a coach the, the second year of my Division One experience, um, he called me. So the work was done before. I, I didn't call him. He called me. So, I, so then I get to the University of San Francisco. Well, halfway through that year, that's when Eddie Sutton came along um, and he took over at University of San Francisco and to get his 800 wins. So I actually worked a little bit with Eddie, who just passed away, and he's a Hall of Fame coach as well. And then, you know, um, the following, the, that summer, 
uh, I went back to being a high school coach again. I, I got hired by the school that that we beat in the state state finals um, turn in the tournament. And um, so, because I didn't I didn't have a job because they 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 obviously they were going to rehire someone else at University of San Francisco. So uh, this is when Craig Robinson became the head coach at Oregon State. Michelle Obama's in the law, who just now got the job at, with the uh, as the president uh, executive director of the NCAA. I mean the NABC, excuse me. So I'm really happy for him. But um, so he flew down um, and interviewed me at, at the Phoenix Inter- uh, airport and for two hours and then flew right back up to Oregon. So I really thought the world of that. And, uh, you know, of course, the Compton Magic helped with that as well. And so did, you know, some other people. But, you know, the Compton Magic was 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 involved with, with that as well. And then you know, the, uh, Craig needed somebody on the West Coast. You know, he was coming from Brown University and uh, as a head coach back back East. And he's, you know, he went to school at Princeton and stuff like that. So he wasn't really familiar with the West Coast. So he needed he needed a West Coast guy. So um, he hired me and he, he hired me as a director of basketball ops. And, and then uh, he was going to hire another guy named Robert Eichhardt. AU coach in in LA right now, and Robert had, at the time had a, had a really good AU team, and he wanted to go through July and coach that, and then come up to Oregon State. Well, during that time, I asked Craig Robinson if I could go on the road in his spot and uh, recruit, and he allowed me to do that since I already took took the test while I was in San Francisco, and I went out and and was very fortunate enough to get Roberto Nelson. Uh, Pac-12, back, Pac-10 back then, uh, scoring champion, and Joe Burton to commit in the July period. And then Robert Eichardt never comes up, and then I, I go in and become assistant coach at Oregon State. So that's how that worked out. Five great years there at Oregon State. Um, and then uh, Steve Offord gets the job at UCLA, and, and he, he, he called me, you know, and I didn't know him. He called me, and we had an interview at the Final Four over in five, eight years at UCA and then on the Cal and then Vanderbilt. Um, you talked about one of the strengths that you have is your ability to communicate, your ability to uh, lead and work with young people. I'm, I'm interested because, you know, coaching in the Pac-12 and at high-level schools, you've coached over a dozen players who have played in the NBA just in your time there. And you have this background, the strong background of communication but that being said, players are different now than they were maybe 15 years ago when you went through those classes. Has your, has your approach changed on how you deal with the mental aspect of players? Or if not, how do, you, how do you handle the egos? How do you handle kids in college who have so much pressure from their parents, from their AAU coaches, they all want to go pro and it has to be after one year and all those things that happen. How do you work with them mentally to get the most out of them? Well, every individual is different. And you try to build a relationship on that individual's needs and wants and backgrounds. I think it's very important to understand the young man's background, where he, what he's dealing with every day, and then just try to communicate with, hey, I know what you go through. I know what you're doing. I know where you want to be. This is some things that you have to do to get to that level. And trust me, I, I already been through it with other young men. That's always helped, you know, um, especially working with Jared Cunningham. We won 24th pick in the first round up at Oregon State. And uh, 
Eric Moreland, who who also um, just won a world championship with Toronto Raptors. So mm-hmm. working with those guys helped, you know, with the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. But if you're genuine with the young man and he trusts you and what you tell him every day is the truth and and, and don't sugarcoat it and, and that they, they build that relationship of trust. And to give it to the young man is very, very important. So um, it goes both ways. So I think once you build a relationship of trust and understanding and know where that young man wants to get to and then help him get to that, to that place um, is, is very, very key. There's ways to go about the communication part to do it. You know, it's not all, uh, you know, checklist wise, you know, where you got to do this first and that, that, that it's just a feel that I've always had. I've, I've always been able to get along with, with, with people and, and youth have, have trusted me, you know, so um, just they know I care about them. They also know that I didn't come up through the air, through the basketball ranks. I've already had a job. So I do this because I love it. I don't have to do it. And I care, I care about them. And they, I think that helps too. And they, they know that me doing 20 years in the Air Force, I didn't do it uh, lying to people. That's very true. It seems simple. You, you treat people with respect. Uh, you're trustworthy. You're a man of your word or a person of your word for all our listeners. And people will respond well to that. It, it seems very simple, but yet I believe it's a bit of a lost art um, in, in all aspects of life, not just coaching. Um, what's it like coaching in the Pac-10 or Pac-12, whatever year throughout the years? What's it like with the coaches there? Because you know, the, I have to imagine the coaches there are some of the top in the country. You're against uh, some of the best recruiters in the country. Um, what, what have you learned being a coach? What have you learned on the coaching side, working at that high level of basketball? Well, I learned so much. You know, that's the highest level of basketball. I was at Oregon State. And then, you know, to be able to work at UCLA is, you know, both both universities are have quite quite of um, uh, history, you know, Oregon State, when I, when I worked there, was one of the best, one of the all-time winning schools there ever was in college basketball, and the Gary Paytons of the world, and, and uh, they went through there bef- before, um, you know, and, and Ralph Miller was a tremendous coach, and then go to UCLA, the most storied program in college basketball, and be able to work there, I've learned so much of uh, a lot of things and even the politics of it, you know, is with everything comes politics and, and the pressures, you know, is, is nothing like um, the pressure of working at UCLA. I wouldn't change it for the world. It was a true blessing and honor to work there. What comes pressure with that job, you can't, you can't make mistakes. You know, we went to three sweet 16s, won 117 games and uh, not too many schools can say that, you know, um, the school that, I was just recently, I'd only been to four Sweet 16s. I've been to three of them. And yet the head coach, uh, Steve Offord, had banners flying over wanting to fire him. You know, that's a different type of Every day we had to win. We couldn't miss on recruits. We couldn't miss on our checklist processes. We had to be right on point. And uh, so I got to learn about that real quick and uh, and then learn, learn that uh, – uh, the pressures of, of the fan base as well, following you everywhere you go and, and every school that you go to to recruit and then and, 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 and have an opinion about it. So uh, I got to learn that as well. Uh, not so much they did that up at uh, Oregon State, not like they do it at UCLA. So 
But again, you know, you, you, you put your big boys pants on and you get after it and, and we had great success. And uh, I'm very proud of the five years that, that I was able to spend there with, with the coaching staff. And I think we had great, great accomplishments. We've, uh, you know, recruited probably some of the some of the best kids ever. Really, really proud of that. But so much I learned. You know, it's a different level than Sac State, obviously, different level San Francisco. And there, you learn everywhere you go, you know. Uh, was, you know, Sac, Sacramento State's not easy to recruit to either, you know, especially with the facilities they got. But, you know, we overcame that. I was able to recruit Vinnie McGee, and, uh, who was the freshman player of the year, my only time there in, in the league. And, uh, and if whoever's been to Sac State, they know that's a bad high school gym, let alone a gym at the college level. Um, when you mention pressure, I think about your background, and, and I'm, you know, nothing compares to the pressure of, like you said, fueling a plane and, and a life or death situation that can happen with that and working with the aircraft and understanding that if you make a mistake, someone can be up in the air and lose his life. That certainly does not compare at all to the pressure that you would face on a basketball team. But in that same vein, you talked about you had some of the best recruits that they've had there in a long time in your, in your tenure there. What did you look for in a player to have that precision and that can't miss um, pressure on you? What did you look for in a player to get the best guys that you can get? You know, first of all, when, when I look, when I evaluate young, young uh, men that are playing basketball, um, I look to make sure, first of all, they're good enough. You know, that their talent's going to be good enough. Uh, can they help us what our needs is? Then I want to make sure my head coach likes them because I recruit for my head coach. Um, if my head coach is going to like them, then I go after him. Then I want to make sure if he's a good person. I want to see if he's coachable. I want to see how, he, how well he does in the classroom. I want to see how he treats his teammates. I want to see if he's a good teammate or not. I want to see if he's a gym rat. Um, all those qualities, and there's a ton more that I look for on on will they help us win basketball games and will we like to be around them and um, will we like our families to be around them and will we like for them to be a part of our family that, that's, that's positive and functional and, and doing well. And, and, you know, I also look at kids that are interested in us, you know what I mean? And, uh, and we go from there. So there's a lot of factors that come involved in, in evaluating kids and having kids come. We had some great kids come through, um, some kids that, um, you know, all, all the kids I've coached and, and recruited, I've always had great relationships after after they've gone and, and, and they've gone on in life and did, did other things. So um, but we had some really good ones at UCLA. You're recruiting kids at UCLA who want to be NBA and professional basketball players. You know, no doubt about that. You need to, you know, to win in the in the Pac-12, you need to have NBA or pro-type players. You know, to win in the West Coast Conference, you need to have Pac-12 players and so on and so forth. So you need to have that. When you get a player and, and we'll, we'll, he passes all the tests and he's good enough, what do you do to help develop that player's skill um, to get him to that next level? Because I can imagine a player who's that good Many times they'll come in and think that he, you know, he knows what he's doing and that he's had success and he knows he's pretty good. How do you, how do you develop him to be able to get to that next level and convince him that what you're teaching him is the right stuff? Well, you know, on those teams that we had at UCLA, the kids that went on to play in the NBA, they, they were usually our hardest workers. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Lonzo Ball is a gym rat. 
He's in the gym from morning to end. He was a great student. He went to class. He did everything. People don't realize that. He was really Aaron Holiday. Aaron Holiday worked his butt off, you know, because he didn't want his brothers to get to the league and not him. You know, um, Thomas Welsh couldn't couldn't shoot a three when he got to to Utah, uh, to UCLA. He don't miss. You know, in uh, the TBT this 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 season in the in the tournament, he put on a show, a shooting show, and he because he his work ethic. So we got kids that were not only talented enough to play in the NBA or were going to play in the NBA. We got kids that were still hard workers and wanting to be coached. And, um, you know, that's the art in recruiting. You got to make sure you get those type of kids that not only are, are, are very talented enough to play in the NBA, but, but, but are still, still wanting to get better and still coachable. Kavon Looney is another one. Great kid. You know, um, he would, he, to this day, if, if I say, Hey, Kavon, why don't you work on this move? He probably do it, you know, and, He's got what two two world championship rings, and I'm college coach. So, because that's the, his nature, he's always looking to get better, and he takes advice from people that he respects. And uh, and and we were getting kids that respected out you know, across the stage and got drafted. When you sit, when you sit with your coaching staff and you've evaluated players and worked with players, is there something that you see is consistently lacking in the uh, grassroots amateur basketball, maybe a skill or a mindset that you wish that coaches worked on more before they got to your level? Defense, you know, especially in AAU. Um, uh, defense, there's not too many stats that are sexy. You go on Twitter uh, like today, they're they're playing up in Indiana, and all you're going to see on Twitter is this kid scored 20 points, had this many assists, and and none of them's going to say, you know, oh this this kid locked down the best player on the other team. You're not going to see that on Twitter um, because there's not a lot of sexy stats out there that you can put on Twitter that you know or that that shows that you shut him down. You know, so defense is is lacking in the AU level. Um, you know, until you get to you get two high level teams playing against each other, and, and the outcome of the game really means something, then you'll get some defense being played. But for the most part, uh, I, I would like to see more defense being played. And even you could play some zone. You know, uh, there's nothing wrong with playing zone. Play zone in college. So um, changing defenses. That's what I did as an AU coach. Uh, I, I changed. I played man, different zones, different presses, and stuff like that. So, I like to see that more in grassroots. I don't know if it'll happen, but I think all the college coaches would like to see that because we get, you know, there's two sides of the ball, not just offense, but there's also defense, and we need guys that can get stops as well. Yeah, that, that's very well put, and I think it's true that you know you can do both, and if you play hard in a zone and if you, your fundamentals are the same, the defensive fundamentals are the same, whether it's a man, a zone, a press, a trap, whatever it is. I mean, the way you close out the ball, the way you box out, the way you communicate, the way you rotate, those things are the same. So if you played a zone and continued with those principles, someone with your experience could look at that and say, he could play our man defense because he does those things, those things well. And that effort's there. But I agree. I've talked to a lot of coaches and it's like, we can only recruit one side of the ball because we can't really see how he can play defense. And no matter how good you are, you're not bringing in five freshmen who are going to score 20 points a game at UCLA. It just is not going to work that way. You need to be able right. to do something else. And 
I think the AAU coach who's able to, or the AAU program who's able to feature defense along with the highlights on offense will really appease himself to coaches like you and guys who really understand the game. Uh, I think that's, that's definitely an untapped thing in our, in our social media of someone who really, really program who really, really pushes on the defensive end. I think that's a great point that you made. Um, you talked about perfecting your craft, and that's something that you learned back to your military days. What are some ways that you, uh, you that you perfect your craft as a coach? Whether you 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 develop professionally and and watching things, or listening to things, or reading things, what are some ways that you're able to sharpen your craft as a coach? Well, I'm always learning from other coaches that's had great success. You know. Um, or but I, I, when I go to a high school game, if I like something that the coach is running, I, I'll steal it. You know, we all steal everybody's stuff. Um, you don't have to be uh, Izzo or a, a, a Self or Lute Olsen or, you know, any of the top coaches to, to know what you're doing in basketball. And, and uh, if I go to an AAU game and I see a good out-of-bounds play, I'll say, oh, wow, let me write that one down. So we're always stealing from other people and, uh, I like to see how game management's done, so I like to go on synergy and see how that's being done for game management at the end games, and and then uh, X's and O's. Obviously, there's always a play that you can learn from, or why you do it. Like we're switching teams, what kind of offense do you run? Um, zone zone teams, what kind of offense do you run? Um, when when to apply a press, when not to apply a press, which, which good press breaks you have. And, and, you know, the X's and O's part of the game and then the, the philosophy of how to run a program. When do you put stuff in during, during your practice planning and stuff? I'm always learning, always learning like, hey, what part of the year do you put this in? How, how, long, how, how many hours do you go later in the season? Do you cut it down and stuff like that? How does that benefit your kids? Do you rest your, you rest your starters after games and have them only do a walkthrough the next day, you know, um, or, or do you get, them, you get after it? So stuff like that. I think the game is always changing. You know, now the three-point shot is so important. Uh, the mid-range game is um, shunned upon a part of a lot of, lot of schools. Some, some, some coaches are okay with it, you know, um, win the foul at the end of games, depending on how, 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 how many points you're down, stuff like that. I'm always learning, you know, I'll watch the TBT tournament to see if I can find anything there. You know, I'm always, I'm going to uh, watch some games, high school games today and see if I can learn anything there, AAU games, excuse me. And uh, so I'm always, always, always learning and try to perfect perfect my craft for when it's my turn to be a head coach. Very good. I, I like to hear that because, you know, a coach of your caliber, um, you know, isn't too good to see a play from a high school coach or a drill from a college coach or, you know, um, not too proud to ask how you did this or how you did that. I think that humility will, will serve you because like you said, you know, we're always learning and, and nobody knows everything. Um, I think that, I think that's really good advice. Lastly here, uh, you, you have a, you have a, definitely a different journey in the game or how you made it to where you're at. What advice do you have for coaches uh, who want to be, who want to be coaches or want to improve their, improve themselves as a coach? Well, networking is huge in our business. Uh, you're going to get a lot of no's. You only need one. Yes. Don't get discouraged by a no. Don't get discouraged by a setback. I've had plenty of those in my life, in my career. 
Um, but you just keep moving forward and pushing forward and keep building relationships and, and, and keep, keep those healthy and, uh, and um, work on your craft, stay healthy yourself, especially during this time of this pandemic. And, uh, and don't be afraid to reach out to people. You can hit me up anytime. If I can help, I will. I mean, so many people's helping me along the way. Um, build relationship with AU high school coaches and and um, and college coaches. You know, if you want to, wherever you want to get there, you know, be that part. You know, um, dress properly. You know, you never know who's watching you. That's another thing. You never know who's watching you. I, I was on a Zoom earlier this morning, and somebody mentioned something that um, I didn't know they were watching me. So, so, um, you know, you never know and, and, um, just keep doing the right thing. I always tell kids do more with your 24. So keep doing more with your 24 and, 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 and you'll get your breaks that you need. Some it'll probably not happen when you want it to happen, but it'll happen if you stay persistent. I love that coach. You said, uh, guys can reach out to you. What's the best way for our listeners if they want to pick your brain or get some advice from you, what's the best way to get hold of you? My phone number is 310-882-315. My email address is coachdgrace at gmail.com. And you can get me on Twitter and um, Instagram. I'm on Snap. I'm on them all. I got to. Got to keep following these young people around. So um, you can hit me up on any of the social medias. And uh, if you hit me up, I'll be sure to get back with you. Well, Coacher, thank you very much for joining us here today. Um, you have a lot of fans out there, a lot of people following your success and, and following your career, and we wish you uh, the best of success moving forward. Thank you, Nick. I really appreciate it. It really means a lot. Well, that does it for the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at nicksinato at ymail.com. See you next time.